Morning, everyone. Great to see you. Hope you're enjoying this uh, spring-like weather. Don't get used to it, of course, but it's great. Hey, I just want to nudge you one more time about married people on Friday. This coming Friday, it's on the Valentine's Day weekend. We need you to get registered. Now, it's Valentine's weekend, and so one of the sessions Friday night is going to be on how to have a better sex life. That's always good. And so... Get signed up. We've got to prepare for food and child care, so get registered before tomorrow night's deadline. We had over 100 couples here last month, so this is going to be a great, a great session. So I hope you can come. If you're married, if you're engaged, if you're dating seriously, this is all for you. And so please get signed up and, and uh, take advantage of the opportunity. This week and next, I'm going to be talking about being brave because we all need courage, don't we? And every single one of us need courage every day. In some way. So I want to encourage you. When you leave today, I hope that you're more full of courage than you were when you came in. Then, starting in three weeks from now, we're going to start a series during the Lenten season right up through Easter. Easter comes a little early this year, the first of, of, of April. And so during the seven weeks of Lent, we're going to be doing a series called The Grave Robber. And, and the emphasis is going to be the Gospel of John. And what we're going to do for seven weeks is look at the miracles that Jesus performed uh, as recorded in the Gospel of John and believe that God is still working miracles in our world today. Maybe you know someone in your life who needs a miracle. You could invite them to come and participate in the series. Maybe you need a miracle and you would come expecting and hoping, trusting that God will touch your life. And so we're very excited about this series starting in a, in a few weeks called The Grave Robber and, of course, the ultimate miracle of the resurrection, which we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday. So the next couple of weeks, we want to build up our faith and build up our courage because all of us need that. I heard the guy uh, tell the story to his friends one day, uh, kind of trying to impress them with his courage, that he had cut the tail off of a man-eating lion you know, with a pocket knife, just cut the tail off of it. And he went on and on about this. And finally, one of his friends said, well, you know, why didn't you cut the head off the line too? And he said, well, I would have, but someone had already done that. <laughs> Courage is all relative, isn't it? You know, so let's, uh, let's look at uh, a beautiful passage in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, about faith and the courage required. And of course, Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter in the Bible that rehearses a number of the men and women in history who have lived in a faithful way, and it certainly inspires us. So we hear, we hear names in this passage like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Noah. Uh, so I want to just rehearse uh, verses 8 through 12 today as we consider this important subject of courage. So as you're able, would you please stand to hear God's word? If you have your Bibles, great. If not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. And so verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, I mean, Abraham, almost 100 years old, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand 
on the seashore. Now, you won't see verse 13, but it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. Still living by faith when they died. How many of you want to make that your goal and ambition? Yeah. Thanks so much. You may be seated. As I mentioned, we all need courage. I mean, every day we're faced with an opportunity to exercise courage. Courage in the face of temptation, courage in the face of a difficult relationship, a personal crisis, a financial issue. There are all kinds of moments in life that require from us courage. Let me give you a couple of definitions of courage uh, to get this foundation laid. Put this on the screen for you. The first is this. Courage is not the feeling of fearlessness. It is rather the willingness of mind necessary to act out of conviction instead of feeling. It's not the absence of fear, courage, but it is the willingness to act out of conviction, what I know to be true, what I know to be right. I, 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 I'll, I'll give my life for that conviction. I'll act out of that conviction rather than the way I feel. That's courage. Here's another definition. Courage is that willingness to deny my own flesh and do what is right and what is noble regardless of the cost. I really like that definition too. That it's my willingness to do what's right, to do what's noble, regardless of what it might cost me, because it's the right thing. Let me tell you a story. A pastor once counseled a young engaged couple who were living together. They were cohabitating, as is uh, unfortunately so common in our culture today. And they rationalized, just like many couples do today, that it's financially expedient for them to live together rather than apart during their engagement. And so they made that argument with the pastor, but the pa pastor exercised courage when he advised them to actually move out, one had to leave and move away from the other, and that they should stay single and apart in their living conditions for at least a year before they got married. And of course, they pushed back and said, well, you know, we can't really afford to do that financially. And, and there was not only the economic cost, but there was also the emotional and physical cost because having been living together for some time, they had developed an appetite physically, sexually for one another. And the idea of being apart didn't seem reasonable to them, and, and, but they considered it. And, and to their credit, and the pastor advised them, it will take great courage for you to do this virtuous thing. And they decided to do it. And to their credit, they lived apart for the year before their marriage. And on their honeymoon from Italy, they wrote the pastor. And I want to read that letter to you. Dear pastor, this is the greatest moment of our lives because we know that we acted as God wanted us to. Now we have come on this honeymoon together from the foundation stone of a virtuous relationship. If we had gone on living together and gotten married, we would have only been asking the church to solemnize what we were already doing. Now we know that our marriage is founded in Christ, and we are so happy. Let me ask you a question today. I mean, this is a rhetorical question, but, but, but how, how would a, a marriage, a relationship, a covenant like that, how would that do, how would that be 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, having laid a proper foundation in that relationship, in that covenant, having laid the foundation well by virtuous living, doing what is right, doing what is noble, regardless of the personal cost, what would having laid a foundation like that do 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, when the storms of life hit that relationship? When a, a real crisis 
comes against that relationship. Let me ask you, is it better to have a strong foundation like that through virtuous living? Or is it better just to compromise those standards and hope for the best? You all know the answer. It's rhetorical. And so what courage required to make a decision like that and live that way? Let me just say about courage that it is the first and greatest element of character. It's central to to character development. Character is, is who we are as persons, our essence, the real core, the real strength of our personhood can be defined by character. Yeah, someone said character is who you are when no one else is around. You know, it's, it's the real you. It's, it's the strength uh, and, the, and the vitality of who you are as a person, your character. And nothing is more central to the development of your character than courage. Think about it. If I am not courageous, virtuous this way, as a courageous person, How can I ever exercise the other virtues of life? How can I be frugal? How can I be modest? How can I be diligent? How can I be grateful? How can I be any of these other virtues of life if I am not first courageous? That is, willing to act out of my convictions, not my feelings. That is, willing willing to do what is right and noble regardless of the cost. So you can see that courage then is central to who we are. I want to just give you some perspective on courage today because I want to encourage you. I want to put courage in you, if I can. Affirm those of you who are courageous and challenge those of you who need to grow in this area. Now, here's the first point. It's on your outline, and that is daily courage. I want you to get perspective on the importance of living out your life in a courageous way day after day, day in, day out, month in, month out, week in, all the way through your life for the long haul. I, I submit to you that the long, lingering, Moral challenges of life are the most difficult to deal with and the most taxing. There are momentary crises when I have to perhaps respond in a courageous way in this particular moment. But those of us willing to live in a courageous way, doing what is right and noble, regardless of the cost, over the long haul, that requires a level of courage that is much greater. Let me illustrate. Imagine, if you will, a sophomore student athlete at the university is awakened by a knock at his door of his dorm room at 2 a.m. He goes to the door, opens it, and there standing on the other side of the door is a beautiful young co-ed, a member of the cheerleading squad. She is dressed only in a t-shirt. And she looks at him and says, I knew that your roommate was out of town this weekend, May I come in? And the athlete looks back to her and says, no, that wouldn't be a good idea. You should go back to your own room. Now, the college student needs a durable courage to live out his convictions day after day. He is truly a courageous young man. You agree? He's courageous. You know, all hail... All hail the professional athlete who plays in the Super Bowl with an injury. Oh, now this is the pinnacle of courage, right? All hail the athlete. But wait, wait a minute. It may be a particularly courageous thing for him to do to play with an injury. Maybe he has a torn this or a broken that. And yet he plays nevertheless. And we say, well, that's a courageous act. And perhaps you could argue that it is a courageous act. But he may also be driven by baser motives like his own status or his own ego 
or maybe his next contract. And so we are left to wonder about this one courageous act. For example, the policeman who refuses the envelope of money is not only honest, he is courageous. The schoolboy who declines to hear the dirty joke is not merely pure. He is pure, but he is also courageous. Mm -hmm. The, The junior or senior high student who will get up on a Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. and have her parents drive her to school or she drives herself to school an hour early before class begins in order to engage in a Bible study or a prayer meeting for her fellow students and her school and her community, she is courageous because she is willing to face in to the vulnerability and the potential rejection or ridicule or persecution that might come from her peers or even from her teachers. She is courageous. Mm Mm-hmm. Now listen to me carefully. There there may be a soldier who runs across 20 yards of open field under withering machine gun fire in order to rescue a comrade and he drags him back safely and you wonder about that moment. He could have acted in this way simply because he played the game in his father's backyard growing up or he had a burst of adrenaline or he lost touch with reality for just a few moments and he races across that open territory and as a result of his heroism indeed he's a heroic person he is awarded the congressional medal of honor and no one begrudges him that he has deserved that and earned that we say he is a truly courageous person my point is simply this that to stand up day after day after day under the spiritually punishing environment of a difficult workplace or under the withering words of, quote, friends in the local high school, these people need far more courage even than the man who goes across 20 yards in the course of 45 seconds. Both are courageous. One is more courageous than the other. Do you have an ear for this? Let me tell you about a young woman that we met and loved very deeply in the life of our church years ago. Her name was Darlene Bradshaw. Darlene suffered from a rare disorder. The medical terminology for it is very elongated and and sounds very gruesome. And it left her bones curved and distorted and bent. Uh, While Darlene, with great pain and difficulty, could crawl across her apartment, she told me about this, Darlene lived in a little 50-pound body. And I never saw Darlene apart from her wheelchair. That's kind of where she lived. But she told me that she could get out and she could move around uh, crawling, as it were. We got to know Darlene while she was a student at Ball State, and she was precious, and we loved her so much. Precious and Christ-like friends from our church would actually go and pick her up and bring her to church every week, and she was always thankful, always complimentary, and always smiling. I never saw her without a smile. Day in and day out, think about this, she would live her life doing her work, fulfilling the obligations of her academic program, preparing for the future. Her little fingers were all gnarled up and contracted. I imagined her trying to take notes or type on a computer. You know, it's just laborious. And her bones, I know, in constantly, uh, constantly causing ache and pain and discomfort. By most, she was never thought beautiful, no. Never pursued by men. She never knew the tender embrace of a loving husband. Never bore children, yet day after day, despite her pain, she demonstrated amazing grace and inspiration and courage. 
We learned within a year of her departure from Ball State University of her death. She'd earned a degree in journalism and advertising and was working for a newspaper in Lafayette when an infection quickly took her life. Everyone say courage. 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 Mm. Yeah. So I'm referring to the virtue, the value of living a courageous life every day, every day, every day. It's a powerful thing. And I know many of you do that. And I, I just want to say that, that we notice and we admire you and we're inspired by it. And for those of you who want to live that way, courage is available to you. You can embrace it and God can give you grace for it and it can grow and develop in your own character and you can find yourself living a virtuous life based on your convictions and not your feelings. Here's a second thought I want to make and that is courage and the fear of God. I want to just put it in that context for a moment. I just want to give you a perspective on courage today. Courage and the fear of God. Fear is not an altogether unwholesome thing. Fear is not always bad. If a man fears the wrong thing, he will probably not fear the right thing. Let me say that again. If a man fears the wrong things, he will probably not fear the right things. If he fears the right thing, then he will not fear the wrong thing at all. Now, here's the perspective I want you to have. All lesser fears will be swallowed up in the life of a person who truly fears God. Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is a virtuous thing. The man or woman who fears God, fears God more than anything else or anyone else in the world. This is a man, this is a woman who can live courageously. Listen to Proverbs 29, verse 25. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. So in other words, if you fear anyone more than you fear God, it'll entrap you, it will paralyze you, it will steal from, it will rob from you the virtue of, of courage. Your character will be diminished and your courage uh, stolen from you if you fear people more than you fear God. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever puts his trust in the Lord will be made safe. So the fear of man is the leading cause of death and the development of courage. If, on the other hand, we fear God more than we fear good, the good opinion of our mates at work or our spouses or our friends or our congregation or our constituency or whomever, then what becomes of us is we are free to be courageous people. If I am free of the fear of the opinion of others and, 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 and free of the fear of anything else, which becomes greater than the fear of God. Then my, my courage is diminished. But if I fear God more than anything else, then I'm free. I'm free to live in a courageous way. It's a very important distinction. Let me tell you the account of Bruce Olson. This is from a few years ago. Bruce Olson was a missionary in South America. And he was abducted by South American communist guerrillas and it was a very harrowing study in quiet, beautiful courage. Bruce Olson, after a handful of years, actually held captive in the jungle by these terrorists, was released. And he came out of the jungle telling this amazing story. Now, he wasn't released because, uh, because he knew karate or he had hand grenades in his backpack. I mean, this is a missionary. He's not John Rambo. And so he, he quietly and calmly and confidently feared God more than he did the loss of his own life. 
He feared God, watch this, more than he feared their, their knives and bullets. And so he calmly and quietly, because of the courage that accompanies a person who fears God more than anything else, began to build relationships with these captives. And so he, uh, as a linguist, knew more about the Spanish language than his captors did. And so one by one, he befriended them and began to teach them how to read and write. Many of them were illiterate. And so over the course of a handful of years, he, he taught all of them how to read and write. You know how long they kept him? Until the last one had to learn how to read and write. Until all these, all these terrorists became literate, then they let him go. And it's a beautiful study, realizing that the fear of God makes us calm and quiet and confident and prepared for whatever challenge comes our way. Courage and the fear of God. Well, let me just give you one more perspective, then we'll be done. And that is courage and leadership. Courage and leadership. If you have influence in your life, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if, if, uh, if you're an instructor, if you're an owner, if you're, an, if you're a manager, if you, if you have a little gaggle of children that you teach in Sunday school or lead in, in 180 or something like that, then you have influence, and that makes you a leader. Well, I'm not a leader. Well, if you influence another person in your life, you are a leader. Now, let me talk to you about courage and leadership. I'll illustrate by talking about three kings that we find in the Bible who were in crisis. The first one that I'd like to speak about is King Herod. Herod was the Roman appointment to Palestine during the time of Jesus. And he was the ultimate tyrant. He was a murderous lecher. And the telling lack in his character was courage. He's virtually devoid of it. It's a horrible example. He had stolen his brother's wife. His brother's wife's, her name was Herodias. And so he's shacking up with Herodias. Is that, is that too crass or crude? He's, he's sh- I, I want to make the point. He's shacking up with his, his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, Herodias. It's a mess. And John the Baptist, who was a contemporary of Herod, fearlessly and publicly denounced the king for his sin. John Baptist was so bold and so fearless and so courageous because he feared God more than he feared the king, feared God more than he feared his own death. This prophet, John Baptist, would actually stand within earshot of Herod and Herodias while they're living this adulterous affair and call out the judgment of God on them. How many of you know that could mess up the mood? I mean, you just, this could ruin the moment. Herod, of course, he's a, he's, he has no courage about him at all. He, he wished John Baptist would shut up, but he doesn't have the courage to do anything about it. But Herodias, on the other hand, she loathed John Baptist and just looked for an opportunity to get even with him. Ultimately, he didn't have the gumption, this Herod, to lock the prophet up, and Herodias becomes more and more angry. Here's what we learn. Herod is more afraid of his girlfriend than he is the prophet of God. Interesting. Likewise, when Herod would have him executed, he lacked the brutal fearlessness to commit the murder. In this case, Herod feared the multitude because he reasoned with himself, if I actually have John Baptist put to death, the crowd will turn on him because the general population believed John Baptist was a prophet from God. And they were right. In a night of drunken debauchery, everyone at the party that Herod has thrown are are drunk and... Herodias' daughter 
dances a dance. Apparently, she's dressed and then dances in a very provocative, seductive way. And Herod, in his drunken stupor, in his inebriated state, he promises the daughter of Herodias up to half the kingdom. And she doesn't know what to ask for, so she goes to her mother Herodias and says, what should I ask the king to grant me? And, 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 and Herodias says, ask for the head of John Baptist. And that is how the prophet's life came to an end. Fearful of a treacherous woman, of losing face before his guest, this perverted king killed a prophet. Shame, 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 shame. And this is what happens. Let me make this statement. See if you have an ear for it. Listen to it carefully. The fabric of society is never so fragile as when leaders are more afraid of men than they are God. The fabric that holds us together as a society is never more fragile as when the leaders of that society are more afraid of men than they are of God. And I would just submit to you that my personal opinion is that the fabric of our society in America is growing very thin and vulnerable. We need more statesmen. Let me give you a second example, and that's King David. King David, if you'll remember, this guy lived him, his life in, in, in bold, bright, capital letters. I mean, neon lights on this guy. Just everything he did was just big and brash and bold and amazing. He was the consummate warrior king, David. Let me, let me just pop quiz. What, what town was King David born in? Say it out loud. Bethlehem. This will all come back to you now. Remember, there was another king born in Bethlehem, that Jesus fellow. We celebrate that at Christmas. He was born in the city of David. So David, see, King David was born in Bethlehem, so so David, David has some reference. There's this uh, amazing story that I illustrates David's incredible courage under extensive levels of pressure. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we find this occasion when David is with 600 of his fiercest warriors, and they're out battling the, the Amalekites. And, and they're camped, Israel, David and his men are camped, and they have their wives, their children, their livestock, and all their valuables kind of with them in the camp. And they go off one morning chasing the Amalekites, and the Amalekites ha have flanked them, outflanked them. And while David is gone with all of his men, the Amalekites gather up all of the women, all of the children, all the livestock, all their stuff, and take them away. So when David and his men get back to the camp and find their losses, they are devastated. I mean, we can't even imagine this. They've lost absolutely everything precious to them. And the Bible says in this text that they wept until there was no more power to weep. I mean, they, they were just done. It just, it just pulled them inside out. Utter devastation. And there's an interesting phrase in the midst of that. I mean, David's men were so angry. They were so hurt. By, they wanted so much to get revenge for this offense that they, they considered stoning David. He's, re, he's the leader. He's responsible for this. He's the one who led us out when we should have stayed home to protect our own. And now we've, we're in this big mess. It's his fault. Let's put him to death. I mean, they even considered killing him. Now, how many of you know if you're the leader of that, that's a bad day. You're having a bad day. <laughs> you're, you're wondering about yourself. Why am I even leading this? Look at the mess. I'm not, I'm not capable. I'm not competent. I, I don't... 
I don't deserve this. I, I'm, I'm the last person who should be leading. The, the way this is turning now, I mean, that's a bad, bad, bad day. There's an interesting verse, though, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Very interesting. I hear it. This is what it says. But David, in the midst of all that horror, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you see that? See, David, there's, there's enough in, about his life that we can study him, and we know that David, from the time he was a boy, tending his father's sheep, that he learned how to work up his courage to do the right and noble thing, no matter the personal cost. He knew how to, how to get the courage together so that he would operate out of his conviction rather than how he was feeling that day. A truly courageous person. And he learned how to encourage, put in courage in his life by himself. So when he was guarding the sheep as a shepherd boy and the lion or the bear would come up, all the other shepherds would run off and David would say, mm, not on my watch. You're not getting the sheep. And he faced his fears and he encouraged himself and he dealt with the problem. Same way with Goliath, same way now in this moment. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And by the way, uh, a traitor that came out of the Amalekite camp came to David and said, if you promise not to kill me, I'll tell you where your, your folks are. And David said, you tell me. <laughs> and the guy told him and they recovered everything. Every woman, every wife, every child, every Every livestock, they recovered everything. They didn't lose anything, recovered it all. That's what courage will do. Let me tell you how David encouraged himself. Now, what I'm about to tell you is worth the price of admission. I don't know what you paid for admission today. Some of you a lot, some of you not so much. But this is worth it right here. Here's what David would do. We see this through his whole life. I'll give you four P words just briefly. This is how he encouraged himself, and you can encourage yourself the same way. The first P word is prayer. David always turned to God and asked for his strength, his wisdom, his help. He prayed. Now listen, this is, this is helpful because we all know that we pray better when we're desperate. And when you need courage, that's usually a desperate moment. And so praying is a good instinct. And that's what David did. He encouraged himself by connecting with God. The second thing David always did is he referred to the promises of God. That's your second word with P, the promises of God. David is constantly writing from the, from the Old Testament prophets, from Moses. He's reminding himself of the covenant promises that God has made to himself, to his people. And so David rehearses the promises of God. Listen, every Christian should carry within hand's reach a little book called a pocket promise book. I have one near my desk in my office. You should have one. We sell them in a bookstore. And all it is is a little book that has an outline of poignant issues that people are confronted with every day that we need courage for, and it gives you scripture references for that particular topic. For example, if you're suffering temptation, or you're lonely, or you're afraid, or you're sad, you're full of grief, all of these issues of life that are common to us, you just go to the index, go to temptation, it'll turn you to the page, and there'll be a list of scripture references there about how to overcome temptation, and the promises of God will encourage you to overcome whatever challenges happen. Everyone should have one of those. I encourage you to get it. Here's the third thing that, that David did to encourage himself, and that is he surrounded himself with, with godly partners. That's the third P word, partners. David had these mighty men, 
He surrounded himself, these fierce warriors, these guys who would rather go do a life-threatening, risky thing than, you know, eat lunch. Awesome, fear, fearsome men of courage and honor. And he surrounded himself with these guys. The, the most poignant relationship, perhaps, in the Old Testament is the relationship that David had with the son of Saul, a young man named Jonathan. David and Jonathan. God had knit their hearts together. It's a beautiful relationship. Let me just give you an insight, a little snapshot, a little window into David's life. Listen, this will help someone. This will help you, maybe. Every time in David's life that he made wise and godly choices in his life, he was always surrounded by godly partners. And every single time in David's life when he chose poorly and acted immorally and didn't exercise the characteristics of courage, he acted alone. He decided alone. He was always by himself when he chose poorly and always surrounded by righteous partners when he chose wisely. He who has an ear, let him hear. That's a whole other sermon there, right? That's a whole other series right there. There's a whole other year's worth of teaching right there. It's very important. And, and ultimately, David encouraged himself in the personhood of God. He would remind himself that, look, God is good. He's good all the time. I don't understand why this is happening to me right now, but I still prefer to trust God and place my faith and confidence in him because I know that God is good. He is, he, the character of God is inclined toward me. He want, has my best interest in mind, and so I am going to trust in the personhood of God. And when you do that, listen, it encourages you. It gives you hope. Let me, let me, put, this, let me put this statement on the screen so you can see it. When there's no apparent reason for courage and God is all you have left, then all you have is everything you need. You okay with that? When there's no apparent reason to have courage and God is all you have left, then all you have is everything you need. Because if you find yourself in some moment, some season, when there is nothing left to draw from except you know God is alive and you know God is, is good and you know God is with you, then you've got all you need. In the meantime, would you pray? Would you rest in the promises of God? Would you partner with righteous people? Would you rest in God's personhood? That'll help. I love this story. Love, 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 love. I love, I love this story. One of the occasions, David's with his mighty men, right? And he's just in the camp, and they're fighting the Philistines, and they're off several miles away. And David's just in the camp, and he's just musing. He's just thinking out loud. He's not asking for anything. He's not ordering anybody around. He's just saying, you know, I grew up in Bethlehem, and everybody knew that. He said, you know, the well of Bethlehem, that water in Bethlehem is so sweet. You know, I haven't been there for so long. You know, I just love to have a taste of the water from the well, Jacob's well at Bethlehem. And he's just, he's just talking. He didn't mean anything by it. I mean, we do this, right? You know, I remember when I was growing up and that, you know, that corn was sweet or that, those flowers were beautiful. You know, he's just musing about that. Three of these guys, these mighty men, they hear David say, I'd like to have a sip of water from the well of Bethlehem. They look at each other and they just nod. They don't say anything. They just nod they, and they dismiss themselves, excuse themselves. And the three of these guys, check this out. The three of these guys head straight to Bethlehem where the Philistines, their enemies, are encamped. We don't know how they did it, but we know the Philistines were there, and so they have to break through enemy lines 
probably at night, draw water from the well, fill the wine skin or fill the water skin with, with water from the well, fight their way back out. The next morning, they show up in front of David, and can you see them walking in? You know, they got this, this glow of satisfaction on their face. You know, their helmet's dented in, one of their swords is broken off, and blood's, dry, cake, blood's running down some of their face. And they just, the three of them, they present this. David said, what is this? They said, well, we heard you say yesterday that you'd like a sip of the water from the well from your hometown. There you go. This is so great. This is so great. David said, are you kidding me? You guys, you guys risked your lives just to get me a little water? Look, there's water here. I'm not dying of thirst. I didn't have to have this water. And then David realizes why these guys have risked their lives to do such a thing. And the reason they've done it is because they want to honor their king. For the honor of their king. They want to express in a courageous way their loyalty and their devotion and their honor to their leader. And so they have risked their lives in order to honor him in this symbolic way. We could spend another month on why we live our lives the way we do for the honor of our king. Something in that. And so David now, the consummate warrior king, watch courage on display, ladies and gentlemen. Watch what happens. David, now all 600 of his troops are around him, and they're all leaning in going, what is he going to do? Because this is quite a moment, because they're all impressed. I mean, you imagine this is impressing these guys. And so they're swelling up with the moment. And David takes, takes this skin full of water, and he looks at these three guys, and he said, I can't believe what you've done. I appreciate why you've done it, but I can't. You shouldn't have done this. And so he takes the cork out of that thing, and watch what he does. He pours it out on the ground. <laughs> this is so good. In other words, he's saying to these guys, look, I recognize your courage and your nobility and your desire to honor me. But he said, I will not dishonor your sacrifice by drinking it. And so he pours it out on the ground. So that's what courage looks like. Someone should make a movie. There should be violins right there where he's pouring out the, just make people go, oh God, that's, that's awesome. When I say that, how many of you, if David was leading, was leading your group, you would sign up and say, I'll follow that guy. Mm -hmm. See how that works? See how it works? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Love that stuff. Let me give you one more example of a king. His name is Jesus. Heard of him? Mm -hmm. On the night of his betrayal, with friends asleep nearby, his enemies within earshot across the Kidron Valley... Jesus falls across a lonely stone in the Garden of Gethsemane and he ponders the impending horror of the cross and he ponders it seriously. He, he considered not only the physical agony of the cross, which he was acutely aware of, but he is also now sensitive to the psychic and emotional and spiritual uh, God-forsakenness that will come with this sacrifice he's about to make. 
He knows that if he goes to the cross as the Lamb of God, that he will actually become sin, the sin of the world, all of the darkness, the evil, the putrid consequence of horrible human activity in the world for all of history, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that he literally became sin. And what is it that separates us from God? Sin separates us from God. All have sinned and come short of God's glory, and the sin then separates us from God. And Jesus knows not only the, that the, the physical torture of the cross awaits him, but the horrible psychic reality of being separated from God, God forsaken. Some people suggest that, oh, Jesus wasn't afraid. No, not Jesus. He was brave all the time. He, was, he never got afraid. Baloney. Don't you know that fear cut into his gut like a knife? The Bible says that his, the sweat that fell from his brow landing on that stone that night dripped on it like great drops of blood. As Jesus agonized over what was about to happen. But this, this prayer that he prays has a pivot point. It, it shifts because he begins the prayer by saying, God, I, I, I don't want to do this. I, I'm, I'm terrified by the whole idea of it. I, I just can't imagine how horrible it will be. I, I really, I, I don't want to. And then this moment when courage, when courage kicks in, and his prayer now changes, and he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Within hours of that moment, that prayer, Jesus now is paraded before his accusers, and people begin to call him a coward. Out loud, they think he's cowardly. Look at him. He won't even defend himself. They accuse him of things that aren't true, but he won't even open his mouth. What a weakling. What a coward. What a wimp. Look at him. They're just leading him like a lamb to the slaughter. He allows it to happen. What a small person. But what we know now is that Jesus was denying the screaming demand of his own will. And he's stifling the tortured cry of his own flesh. And he's rejecting his fear. And while this jeering crowd attempts to label him coward, we find in this moment the monumental and the magnificent courage, the most courageous act, the most courageous man, the most courageous moment in all of human history when Jesus Christ beautifully and powerfully exercises courage, denying his own feelings, denying his own fear. And doing a right and noble thing in spite of how he's feeling. Acting on his conviction. And his primary conviction was to love God and to love us. And in this act of courage, Jesus Christ lifts all of humanity. That's you and me before God in a hopeful way. The most courageous man who's ever lived places that courage on display. And in the work of redemption, reconciliation for all of humanity. Aren't you glad that's a courageous Savior we follow? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. 
One more story, we'll be done. It was the first day back to school after the accident. Ten-year-old Sean was in the car with his mother. He said, I don't want to do this. She said, I know. He said, please let me stay with you, Mom. Let me stay, I'll be good. She could see that tears were welling up in his eyes, about to spill down his face. She said, honey, listen, it's not about you being good. You're, you're always good. And there's nothing that I would love more than to keep you, keep you at home with me. But she said, I can't do that. Because that would, that would be nice and I would enjoy that. But it would be selfish of me to keep you at home. No, she said, you, you have to get back to your life. You have to go back to school. You have to carry on because it's what's best for you. He said, but mom, I'm afraid. And Sean was already small for his age, a bit frail, easy to pick on. He said, I'm afraid. She said, I know. He said, is it okay to be afraid? She said, yes, Sean. It's okay to be afraid. And then she said something that's very wise. She said, it's not a, in the wanting to do the right thing or the feeling brave. It's actually in the doing it that really matters. Do you think they'll laugh at me? She had to measure just how much he could take from her. And then she said, yes, Sean, some will laugh at you. Others will try to help you. And they won't know how. So it'll be awkward, at least at first. So Sean then took a deep breath, let out a long, wet, lonely sigh, deep, full of pain, racking his little thin frame. She wanted so bad just to grab him and pull him close. But she clutched the steering wheel, her knuckles becoming white. She turned to him and said, are you ready? He said, yes. She said, do you want me to get the door for you? He said, no. He'd already glanced up at the school door and saw some of his cronies standing there looking at him, watching. He said, no, no, they're watching. So he opened the door himself. He swung himself out, balanced himself on his crutches, stood up, reached over with his left crutch and pushed the door shut. And then he turned and he made eye contact with all the kids up on the steps. And that gaze across this crossless chasm of people with disparate experiences Sean looking at his friends, wondering what it's like to have legs. His friends looking back at Sean, wondering what it's like not to have legs. Sean then takes his first step on his prosthetics, swinging with his crutches and syncopation, balancing himself as he had taught, worked out in therapy. And he made his way 
His mother, knowing that he couldn't hear her any longer, whispered, I love you. I'm proud of you. Now everybody say, courage. Courage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the magnificent model of courage that comes to us through so many wonderful characters of faith and particularly through the life of Jesus, our Savior, who manifests for us the monumental and magnificent courage to hold us before you in redemptive hope. Amazing. Thank you. Now I pray for each one of us. Lord, I ask that you administer to us because we confess, gosh, we're so weak. We're so needy. We're so frail. We're so absent the virtue we need so often. So I pray, God, that you would, you would touch us today, that you would inspire us to embrace the disciplines and practices necessary to encourage us, to bolster our courage, to make us men and women who are virtuous day by day, living in an honorable way and doing what is right. So God, increase our courage and help us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. And the people said,